Live. Live. I do it just for Alex's smile. I do it just for that smile. Welcome, everyone, to Casa Live. It is Saturday. We are here. Uh, Kristen's internet looks like it's holding up great this week. So, we'll cross fingers. I think we're all set there. Skip, I see you in chat. Hello. You were early. Mallory. Philip is here. Adrian, thanks for hanging out with us this Saturday. Thank you, guys. Though bias here. Mark Sliss is here. Mark, thank you again uh, for this we- this past Wednesday joining us on the uh, the Casa Twitter space. Uh, thank you, much appreciated. That was an excellent conversation we had. So welcome, everybody. Welcome. I have some weird camera angle things going on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm messing around with it. I apologize if everybody's like, Logan, you got to stop moving this camera, man. I'm, I'm trying here. You guys, I'm trying. Uh, so we do have a special guest, which we're going to be bringing on in just a moment. I already see some people excited in chat. Uh, we're going to just kind of breeze right past. Hey, how are you? We'll do a quick one. I, I just can't help myself. Alex. <laughs> I'm good. I'm still cold, but I'm good. Okay, good. Alex. Or Kristen, hey, how are you? <laughs> that was it. That was uh, it. We just had an ice storm, and that's about all the news that happens in northern Wisconsin these days. So just that's ice. fine. <laughs> ice. Alex is still kind of cold. I have plenty of sunshine. We're good to go. If everybody is ready, without further ado, we will get into this here show and bring our guest on. Alex, do you have some of your are, are we finger guns? Does that mean Thumbs you're good up. to go? All right. Go for it. Let's do the thing. And our special guest this week is Dr. Cheryl Olson. How are you? Great, thank you. I love your elaborate introduction. I feel honored. <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> Showmanship is the only real thing I can bring to the table here at Casa, so I do my best. <laughs> well, it is appreciated. Thank you. Um, so tell us uh, right out of the gate here for folks here who have no idea who you are. I just learned a lot about you, at least from links that I was given. I, they were like, Logan, research, research this human before we bring her on the show. Um, tell tell our uh, our audience here a little bit about yourself and maybe I get to learn a little bit more too. Sure. I should say some people might know me from my work in video game violence, if any of your listeners are gamers or watchers, because uh, I wrote a book called Grand Theft Childhood. It was one of the first, really the first academic study to break through and say, hey, maybe maybe video games are not always terrible and evil. Right. And I think panic panic that a lot of people think they, you know. Right. And I've sometimes talked about the moral panic about video game violence as being similar in many ways to the panic about vaping. And I can bore you with that at length later. Um, (laughs) Please do. Okay. (laughs) Otherwise, I know you, I think I came across your radar because of a piece I guess published in Tobacco Reporter uh, which oh, my husband always formats these for me. It's called uh, Watch Your Mouth. Uh, what the industry can't and could say about harm reduction. I've been writing for Tobacco Reporter for about a year now. And uh, just background to back way up, I am one of those public health people. I, <laughs> I, used, I spent 15 years or so on the faculty of Harvard Medical School and was re- was a researcher in the Department of Psychiatry at Mass General Hospital. I had something called the Center for Mental Health and Media that I co-founded. And we did research on youth risk behavior and a stigma of mental illness and a variety of other things. And while I was there, uh, I, I have a doctorate in public health from Harvard. And while, while I was uh, running this research center, I had friends of mine 
who were, this is in the you know, early 2000s saying, hey, I guess I got a grant from PMUSA. They have a, a, a PhD who's working with them now and they're doing harm reduction work. And they gave us money to do some radio programming about uh, harm reduction. And you should go talk to them about you know, funding your, your new center because if any of you know academia, it's, it's a constant money grubbing situation for most people. You're constantly looking for grant funding, whatever you can get, especially Harvard, whose slogan was, something like every tub on its own bottom, meaning you're on your own kid, bring in your own money and we'll take a cut of it. Harvard. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> That's one reason that I'm not in academia full-time anymore. I got a little tired of that, but, but I, I, first I thought you want us, you want us to go talk to a tobacco company. And we went, they had not moved to, this was so long ago. They were still in Manhattan. They had not yet moved to Virginia. And I remember walking in there for a meeting and feeling like, you know, those people from the animal rights advocates used to throw paint on people with fur coats. I almost felt like some anti, you know, some tobacco, anti-tobacco advocate will come and dump an ashtray on my head or something and say, how yeah. dare you go and talk to them? So it was very weird. And it, um, at that time, uh, some um, Howard Willard was the head of, um, I think, uh, advocates or outreach then. And he was there and Jennifer Hunter and some other people. And we sort of, I almost felt like we're strange dogs sniffing each other and circling, like, are we going to play? Are we going to fight? What is, is this okay? And and they showed us a little, you know, uh, PowerPoint and we talked and, uh, you know, long story short, I ended up working with them. They, they what they wanted to do, they said, hey, look, our research shows that smokers who use our products, they feel that if they want to quit, that we ought to help them, that, that it should be our job to help them quit. And we want to move toward regular, this was, you know, before the Center for Tobacco Products happened and the FDA, they wanted to move toward regulation because they wanted predictability in their litigation environment, let's face it. So they, and they said, we want to do something that will build off the Surgeon General's five keys to quitting. And I ended up, you know, forming a, a you know, task force or, or a, you know, advisory group and putting together something called Quit Assist, which you, you can still get on my website. I have it, uh, up there. Oh, I guess where did I put it? I guess I had it here. Oh, here it is. I, I've got it shared up oh, okay. here. Okay, yeah, it still exists. Yeah. Okay, so you, yeah, they have some things on their site, and I have. You can download the booklet from my site. I have it archived there, and the resources in it are old. Uh, they don't. They don't act. I don't think they actively add to this anymore. But the booklet was. I know a lot of people liked having the booklet because they felt they could. They could take the little booklet and kind of carry it around in their pocket. Um, a friend of mine said it had totemic value psychologist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, one, of the th one of the things, it was really eye-opening for me to work on that project because the reason I did it was that in public health, often you get enough funding to do maybe 5,000 four-color brochures and get them out to some health departments or some such. By going, by working with Big Tobacco, I was able to get, um, get this stuff. I think that they did hundreds of thousands of copies that went out to Dennis and doctors' offices, H, you know, HMOs, you know, all, um, to people who requested all kinds of things. And then we had a, an additional project, a youth smoking prevention project, which my husband headed. He's a psychologist, and I was involved in as well. And they did, I think it was 75 million uh, brochures for parents, and they were stapling them to major magazines, putting them on, you know, on the they they could control the real estate on the shelves of convenience stores and uh, uh, drug stores and so on. So it was just mind-blowingly beyond anything I'd ever been able to be a part of. And they were able to afford doing a proper job of evaluating. And one of the things that really opened my mind, I never was a smoker. And my um, 
we did focus groups with smokers with the initial versions of this guide to see what people would like. We had lots of quotes from expert this, you know, psychiatrist, this psychologist, that doctor, that, and people right away were saying, I don't want to hear from all these doctors. You know, they are basically people who shame me and don't know what they're talking about. I want to hear from the real experts, people who have quit smoking already. And I was like, oh, duh. <laughs> and so we rewrote those parts to take out the names of the doctors. And I interviewed a bunch of people uh, who had been successful quitters about you know what worked for them. And we worked those into the guide. They took pictures of models, unfortunately, to go with the quotes, but the quotes are from the real people. And, uh, and, and that's the part that's still good if you, if you want to get a copy of it. Then, then the rest of it was linking to resources available at that time from the government and groups like the Lung Association, which were not nearly as numerous as they are now. So that was my experience. And I remember having to talk to colleagues in public health saying, why on earth would you do such a thing? You know, what, what, you know, basically like, how did you, you, you got dig big tobacco on you. How do you want to get that on you? And can I, if I talk to you, will I get it on me? It's almost the way that it feels. <laughs> and I talked to them about, you know, here's, look, this is a chance to have this massive outreach. And I was told later that uh, some people from government told people at Philip Morris USA, Psst, um, your stuff is the biggest single referral to the government quitting resources at this time, going through Quit Assist. I don't think they ever publicly said that. Uh, and, no. uh, and, I think it's, and I know I, I, I talked, I later met Joe Gitchell of Penny Associates who did Chantix. And he said, Chan, you know, I had wanted to use the Quidditch ad for Chantix. They wouldn't let me. And I, you know, and, and, and the government campaigns that came out after seemed very similar to what we did with Quidditch. So I felt like I did, I met my goal. I influenced, I, I did some, I helped a lot of people and I'm willing to take some heat for that. And I said look, to my colleagues, look, you know, not only if, if I don't do this, they'll get someone who'll be like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll take tobacco industry funding. And they'll do the same old th- thing that doesn't work. They'll, you know, whereas if I'm there, if if they are sneaky or underhanded or try to distort something in any way, I can call them out. I can go to the press and say, I collaborated with them on this and they betrayed me or they betrayed public health is what they did. And I also can make sure everything's based on the latest research. We footnoted everything up the wazoo. Uh, and so I felt that that was a responsible thing for me to do if I wanted to make a difference. So, and then I kind of exited that area for a while. Oh, that's another piece that I wrote for Tobacco Reporter. You've got Yeah, I was putting that up because you were just talking about how you, um, when you get into that, you kind of jump into all the attitudes that come with it and you, it just sort of sticks to you. And all these, uh, all these links are in the um, description, you guys, but this is another fascinating article as that she wrote that um, that kind of goes along with what you were saying about that. Why would you get into that? And now you're just tainted and, you know, right. Things on you type of thing, even though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I know other people who've, who've uh, suffered professionally from doing less, much less than I did, but yeah, that, that article grandfathered attitudes I wrote for people. I had the example of jewel in mind in a way I, I did a very tiny amount of consulting for them, like summarizing some research for them to use. Uh, but my, my impression was that they came in thinking, you know, we're disrupting. I live, I live in Silicon Valley, right? So there's disrupting happening all over the place around me. Yeah. And I don't think that they really thought through um, that when you're disrupting something that's an addictive product, it's a, you, you just, you, it's not like making you know a new competitor to a tech product. 
it's a whole different thing. And they didn't realize, you know, in the, in the eyes of, of public health and politicians and so on, you're not disrupting. Rather, rather the legacy of bad behavior, big tobacco is now chained to your leg. And you're dragging it around forever. And if, you know, if they had understood that from the beginning, I think they would have, you know, had a much easier time. But I mean, I can understand why they why they didn't. But that's but I wrote that piece called Grandfathered Attitudes. You have know, to be able to talk about grandfathering of products, mm-hmm. hence the attitudes, because you need to know that this anybody who meets with you is going to be thinking, okay, big tobacco tattooed on your forehead. So you've got to right away figure out how do I deal with this credibility issue so that they can even begin to listen to anything coming out of my mouth. Right. 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 Yeah. That, yeah, that article was, I mean, I, I went back and read a bunch of your stuff and, and that one, I really recommend people, I mean, you're, you're, you were talking about like Joe Camel in that article and mm-hmm. um, uh, just how that kind of stuff still sticks because as soon as like vape industry got into stuff, they would put cartoony looking stuff on their products. And yeah. this idea that adults don't like cartoons just kind of ignores the fact <laughs> no. of, you know, the yeah. Simpsons and Family Guy. Well, I, and, I walk, you know. watch Rick and Morty once in a while late at night when my yeah. husband's not you know, doing something else. <laughs> yeah. I know one of the questions I, I, I had for you on that particular article was, do you th- do you think that anybody actually started smoking because of Joe Camel? Oh, gosh. I mean, I've always, that always this one that, that I, we've gotten in debates about on yeah, this show. I, I've always you know, said, I've I said no way. I you, think that's not what causes people to smoke. <laughs> I know most people I talk to who, you know, who smoke will say it was because my family and friends smoked. I do think that, I mean, but certainly there's, we all do things, you know, like the, the brand of jeans I wear, the shoes I wear, something we're always signaling things about ourselves, even if we're, even if we don't mean to, there's always some underlying thing. And I know the thought with Joe Camel was this is signaling kind of macho-ness at some level. I mean, the, yeah. the very, um, you know, um, crotch-like appearance of the <laughs> I think of a nice way to say this. And, uh, that, that may have with the certain risk-taking family and friends smoking using demographic might have influenced the brand that they used. I'm not sure right. whether it influenced them starting, but I do think right. it probably influenced the brand at the very least. I mean, one of the difficulties with looking at, frankly, looking at uh, research like this is often the, if, if people are studying stuff like this or do or, or studying the effects of a campaign to see if they can change minds, sometimes the same government agency that paid for the campaign also pays for the evaluations. So the evaluators know what's wanted. And mm-hmm. believe me, as someone who knows how this research works, there are ways to, you know, everybody, you know, everybody has to get, you know, get food on the table, right? I'm not saying they're, they're lying. I'm just saying that everybody knows going into it what the situation is. Right. Um, but that's a whole nother topic. So you can see, I, I don't, really. I don't mind poking the bear a little bit. After I, I stopped, you know, that stuff with the criticist was an aside thing, and I got back to my main, you know, I was doing my main work at Harvard, and one of the biggest things I did was a, a big video game violence project. Uh, I got a grant from a, a through back just before they stopped doing earmarks, a congressman who thought that video games like Grand Theft Auto sincerely thought that they might be really undermining the fabric of our society and I causing that. violence. Um, I got a um, million and a half dollars of government money. And you can, you can imagine the, the happy little little students I hired to be my employees saying, look, oh my God, hired to do video games at Harvard. Isn't this great? Uh, <laughs> uh, we bought a bunch of, you know, like used PlayStations and things like that. And we did a bunch of qualitative and quantitative research, which is also on my website, if that's your thing. And uh, 
I, I didn't know when I got into that how big the moral panic was. And sure. it that really informed a lot of what I understand now about vaping. But uh, I that got me. I used to do uh, before I got went back to academia full time. I my husband had um, was a psychologist who'd done a lot of media, and we had our own health communications company. And so I and I like being behind the camera. I don't like you know or or producing or writing or something else. But I ended up doing a ton of media, including um, Penn and Teller's bullshit that's out there nice. as an episode uh, <laughs> talking about video game violence, and did, did media all over the world about it. And it was a really fun experience. But I suck at playing video games. I always felt like a bit of a fraud because. <laughs> <laughs> Just like I said, I know I've never smoked. And I, so I always feel like, you know, so if I'm going to be an expert, I have to have a little asterisk next to my name, the expert with a lot of theory and who will ask a lot of questions, but doesn't know what it's really like. So uh, that's one reason I like being involved with you all. And then I got back into this at the end of 2017, Penny Associates asked me to do some, uh, some papers reviewing the Surgeon General's report and so on. And I presented something at a conference that I did with my husband about media coverage of vaping and how how it goes so wrong and why they get these pick up these crazy things like formaldehyde or something. And that's on my site too, an article about that. But um, then I, I met up with some people, including Willie McKinney, who he has a company called McKinney RSA doing uh, regulatory stuff. And he came out of big tobacco and is now on his own. And we now collaborate uh, to help, you know, medium-sized and and larger companies. You know, the small ones, frankly, they can't afford our help. So I can only help them as a volunteer, uh, which I try to do, like today, um, to get, you know, to try to get, be, you know, find creative ways to do the research that the FDA wants, and to try to help as much as possible move things forward at this time when everything is so crazy, and where I feel really angry at the way the public health community, much of it has distorted the research and gone off on, you know, I understand where they're coming from. I think there's this big tobacco was, was stuff was so egregious. And most people, you know, most people in my tribe of researchers and academics and so on, we don't know any smokers. We don't know. Um, it feels like it's gone away. It feels like, oh, they must only be smoking because big tobacco is pushing them to do it. There's just not an understanding of I have one colleague of mine who was at Boston University who worked with a lot of low-income smokers, and he was a big help for me in understanding, saying, look, a lot of people have, you know, crappy lives, and the cigarette is something that they use to manage their mood. The cigarette is a something they use to, you know, it's, it's a relaxation. He's trying to help me understand what it's, you know, because it was just all alien to me, and I, and I felt really stupid frankly, after I, after I got a little bit more oriented, because I'd had those same prejudices thinking, oh, they must be dumb. They must not know. They must not. And, and then I have to look at, well, what do I do in my own life? What about all the things that I'm doing that are not optimally healthy or that are emotionally based or what have you? And is the point of life to do everything logically? And, and then that's, you get off into philosophy, but so yeah, I started, you gotta live a little from time to time, right? Yeah, yeah. I have a chocolate problem, a definite chocolate problem. <laughs> <laughs> I want to first of all, I want to commend you for not saying that you have a chocolate addiction. Thank you for not. No, it's not. I, I think addiction is a very overused word. Mm -hmm. uh, and Amen. you know, there's certain things I just don't buy at Trader Joe's because I will eat them till I'm sick. And then I will set them aside for three hours and then I will eat them till I'm sick and set them aside until it's gone. Oh, that's that's <laughs> me on Chinese food night. Okay, but Chinese yeah. food is oh yeah those oh, maple yeah. leaf cookies. Oh my god, I don't know what oh. they put in those maple leaf cookies. 
Oh, I can't, I can't, I literally cannot buy those things, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, so I, I had left academia a while ago because my husband got a job running a big foundation in DC and I didn't want to do all the long distance stuff. And so now I'm in a position late, kind of late career person where I can say, look, what I want to do is bring people together. I want to bring together industry and academia, journalists and doctors, you know, um, advocacy folks, and really get them to try to talk to each other and try to share knowledge and to try to go down this journey together where, yeah, I mean, we don't know, certainly in, in 20 years or 30 years, I'm sure we'll know a lot about, oh, damn, that flavor of vaping or that chemical formula or that product, this particular group shouldn't use or has this health effect. But just because we don't know that now, we do know that it's the, I think I put in, in a, a piece I did in Tobacco Porter recently, a, a woman I, I met who used to work for, for, I think for BAT said, you know, something like, you know, it's not the nicotine that kills you, it's the nasties in the smoke. And I loved her British phrasing, the nasties in the smoke. And I just said, I want people to understand it's the nasties in the smoke that does most of the killing, yeah. not the nicotine. Yeah. And you have to, and I want to you know, point them to things like Public Health England's information. I love that video that they did, which I want to put on my a link on my site where they showed the that glass jar. Oh, the cotton balls. Yeah, where you see cotton, full of cotton balls and you see all the, the dirty crap coming in from the from the cigarettes and from the vaping. It's just a little wet. I showed that to a you know 14 year old acquaintance of mine. And he was like, "Whoa!" You know, it completely changed his mind. Uh, that was so, that's a wonderful example of how this is. It's it's not safe. You never use the word safe, God forbid, but it's 95% less risky about that much. And I think over. Um, yeah. Yeah. So to be honest, over 95%. Right, right. I'm being conservative. I'm, you know, I'm trying to. 95 yeah. is conservative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah it's over, it is. I, I have knowledge. Right. I mean, I have no doubt, no doubt. And I know um, one thing I should mention too, is another reason we do this is my, my, both of my husband's parents died from, um, of cancer, oh. colon cancer from, they were smokers before he was 18. Mm -hmm. And if someone ever asks him, well, how dare you consult to industry? He'll say, Hey, you know, both my, if can you imagine if a product like, like a jewel or, or, you know, any of these other, you know, vapes have been available when my parents were smoking, I would have had a very different life. True. And that usually shuts them up. Well, it's um, funny because we often see the exact opposite argument made if you're on Twitter or something like that. People will say, oh, these things are horrible. Both my parents died from smoking. These are horrible. And we're like, um, I think you're missing the point here, you know, because they'll say smoking's horrible, vape, but, you know, a lot of people have been convinced that vaping's is bad or worse than smoking. So they don't see any difference, I think, is part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. So what, so I've, I've gone through my little backstory. Okay. What, what would you like? us to talk about in the rest of our time oh gosh well i i had a i had a couple of questions comments and so on um the one thing i you know i, I know that this is a, a year old article but it was uh, touching back on the, the grandfathered attitudes yeah um you know the opening uh in that article references the the ceos of tobacco companies in front of congress <laughs> and and i i it this has always bothered me because uh, immediately, as you noted in your article, the New York Times turned around and and reported this as CEOs say that cigarettes aren't addictive. But the reality of the situation is that that's not the question that they were answering. There were a, there were two CEOs who said they didn't believe that nicotine or their products or cigarettes were addictive. But the rest of them, I believe, actually answered the question correctly, which was from Ron Wyden. 
do you believe nicotine is addictive? And I, I have this thing with language. This is why I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you immediately in my head. I think, okay, well, what is, what do the nicotine gum manufacturers have to say about their products? And I went and saw Glaxo has a little, you know, quick FAQ about is, is nicotine gum addictive? They don't actually talk about whether or not that their product is addictive. They talk about being able to use it to wean yourself off of smoking and nicotine eventually. And, and it's very clearly stated that we know that nicotine is addictive. And the more nuanced definitions of addiction do incorporate some degree of harm or self-harm in continuing to use a product that we know is dangerous. But nicotine in and of itself doesn't really fit that description. And moreover, it seems that when we have this conversation about the drug is addictive, we're actually assigning magical powers to these molecules that they just don't have. It's the set and setting and all of the risk factors and reasons for why people would use a drug. And of course, I understand, you know, we can get into the the, the finer points of reinforcing, uh, whether, whether it's reinforcing marketing or reinforcing uh, aspects of certain drugs. Uh, obviously, flavors are, are are part of that conversation now being accused as, uh, of uh, uh, or being you know fingered for why kids continue to use vapor products because of the flavor. They, it's that reinforcing yeah. effect of a pleasant flavor. Um, and so I, I, I just thought that was a really interesting point. And that is sort of one of these, you know, legacy attitudes about all of this that is it's not limited to nicotine, but it's this belief that drugs have magical powers and that somehow whether you're talking about dealers on the street or you know a, a tobacco company that those people those organizations they're responsible for us getting hooked on drugs yeah but I, I've always believed or not always but you know I have my own uh, experience with substance use recovery and uh, it, it's to me that narrative, in a way, sort of takes away my agency uh, yeah. and, and, and dismisses my ability to even somebody, somebody who wants to quit smoking is affirmatively making the decision to switch to a smoke free nicotine product and wean themselves off of nicotine. How can they do that if nicotine is so horribly addictive? Yeah, I can tell you that a public health person coming to that would say, well, then why don't they all quit? You know, yeah, it's, sure. you know, it's, yeah, this, well, this gets into such, you know, five different kinds of ph philosophical, um, biological, you know, there are just so many different aspects to what you're saying. I'm not even sure I can begin to untangle it. And that's a whole nother <laughs> three hour conversation, which is so cool. I agree with you on the, the power of language and nuance. And in fact, that photograph, I'm not sure if I mentioned the article was, it, people will say that's them swearing nicotine's not addictive. And that's not what it was at all. It was yeah. them being sworn in at the beginning mm -hmm. of the thing, but that's, because of the idea in the public mind, that's how it comes out. Uh, but I don't think you win uh, win hearts and minds by by going into the philosophical arguments about nicotine. If you're going going to talk to a different tribe, let's say, if you're going to talk to journalists or doctors or so on, I think, and and that's um, if I can get back to the the focus of the article that I just did about you know about what why industry doesn't do more to counteract these myths. The one thing that came up came up when I was talking to people on background for obvious reasons about why industry doesn't do more. I mean, they have to face just to summarize. I mean, they have to they have shareholders. And right now the money is being made by, the you know, by the big companies from the combustible products. And, you know, mm -hmm. ideally they're using those a lot of that money to 
transition and research the other products, but they've got shareholders, they've got litigation risk, they've got people watching them and saying, okay, all the bad things you did before, oh, you're, are you thinking about collaborating with a physician? Ooh, it's just like all those ads you used to run with the doctors in white coats saying, luckies are less dangerous or whatever. You know, everything they do is being scrutinized, scrutinized, scrutinized. But one, um, and then the regulators are off, you know, they're afraid of angering the FDA and who can blame them um, right. by doing anything that might be like, well, I don't know if that's okay to do that. I mean, then of course they're gonna be risk averse. And something I heard, you know, multiple times was the advocacy groups, basically advocacy groups, they're the, they're, they're the ones who have to save us. They're the ones who have the freedom to speak. And, you know, and, and we, you know, and, and maybe there's something more industry could do to support them and having to figure it out, but they have to be careful because anytime industry tries to gather together and say, well, let's pull some money or let's pull something to help. Oh, that's the tobacco Institute all over again, isn't it? You know, all that bad stuff, you know, even though the people who work there now, most of them were in diapers or not born <laughs> yeah. when this bad stuff yeah. was happening, it's too bad. It's their company now. So, you know, so that's where I think, you know, you guys have the credibility and, and that, and that's one thing that I think is so important to, to think about is, is telling your stories. And, and I, I don't know if that's something, um, I haven't seen, I have, I apologize that I haven't looked at your site as carefully and I don't know, I know you have some videos. I don't know if you have short videos of people telling their stories of quitting through vaping, but I sure hope you do. Or have well, we do have, stories. if you do head over to our site and I'm sure Alex can pull it up right now is we do have a, a, a page on our site with testimonies. Okay. Um, and we currently have over 13,000 testimonies from people wow. Um, wow. in regards to sharing oh, that's fantastic. their stories, exactly what you're saying. So uh, we don't have 13,000 videos, but we do absolutely okay. have... Mm -hmm. Um, thousands and thousands, yeah, 13,416 right now. And we actually, as far as videos, our website, our um, YouTube channel has uh, has shared a whole, we have a whole, um, what do you call it, uh, section. I, 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 that's not the right term for YouTube. Um, but it, yeah. we have a whole section that is just videos from the um, oldies but goodies and any any uh basically testimonials like that that i come across but oh, we the, have uh, are, you, are you talking about the the golden oldies the golden, golden oldies, oldies that's it. tour yeah yeah, that's, yeah, not that's, that's, yeah. that's from a different person Lindsay stroud uh yes, a lot yes. of our, our fans yeah. know yeah um but i share those on our um on our channel so i, I link to the playlist thank you neff um <laughs> I'd love so. to see you set something up on your site where, you know, where you see the little, little, uh, little screen, still shots of a few folks. We could say, click and see so-and-so's story, uh, you know, and just get a, a few of the ones that are concise and reasonably, you know, have reasonable audio and stuff. I always feel that audio audio quality is much more important than video quality. I say as a former video producer. Oh yeah. As somebody uh, who's been doing content creation for years yeah. now, it's all right. audio. You okay, can deal with right. somebody's poor camera or, or whatever, but if you can't hear somebody, it's then over. Then you're like, screw this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but I, one of the big things I want to tell people is, you know, what things you have to know about my tribe of public health academic type people is, you know, we don't know smokers and we don't know the products. And there's, and I think what's critical, one of the most important things from my perspective that advocacy people can can help us with is putting faces on smokers. Because when people think, you know, if, if, if they're regulators or, or, or your doctor, 
you know, or a journalist, or, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, vaping, what they've heard, their gut reaction is going to be, oh, vaping, that's the bad stuff that's trying to hook kids with the flavors. Or that's something I found in my kid's backpack, or I'm afraid of finding in their backpack. Um, they don't, and, and they know teenagers, but they don't know smokers. So the teenagers have a face, my kid, my niece, my neighbor, but they, and they need to counter, if they're ever going to balance that and, and, and weigh these things the way that they, the FDA says they want to weigh it, they need to have faces on those smokers. And that's something you guys can do. And if, you know, if, and the ideal thing would be when they're reading about this stuff to have them think, wait, what about Charlotte in, in Memphis, whose story I saw who used that, you know, who started out using a tobacco vape and it just kept her thinking about, about cigarettes and she switched to cherry pie, you know, whatever it would be. And I think also, frankly, one of the things I guess we just got some feedback um, from the FDA on something that we, we asked some questions about uh, a research program. And one thing that became very clear is that they, you know, I was, we were trying to, you know, posit that, hey, you know, liquid, you know, the refillable vapes seem to be showing up much less in the use surveys than, to, than say the disposables, especially mm-hmm. something like Puff Bar now. And, you know, you know, could you, you know, could you FBA, you know, are you basically going to see if they'd be willing to acknowledge that, yeah, that's what the surveys are showing is that, you know, tank style vapes, and forgive me if I use the wrong, wrong terminology here, I'm, I, I'm not a native, but that those are much less popular with among, you know, among youth. Sure. I mean, let's face it, youth, that involves an investment and, plan, you know, money and planning, two things yeah. teenagers aren't great with, <laughs> just that alone. Uh, but the, the surveys just aren't showing it. But they were not buying that. They were not, they were not, they were basically saying, no, I mean, that all, you know, flavored vapes are all bad. They're all youth attracting yeah. and just really reiterating they have a high bar. They interestingly, menthol was not a flavor in their mind. But it's funny mm-hmm. too, uh, you know, prior to Gottlieb leaving the FDA to spend time with his family or whatever he said he was going to go do. Um, he acknowledged that youth were using, um, you know, pod style devices, things like that. And not, and what did he call contraptions? Is this, I believe that's what he called like bigger, you know, mod tank style boxes, contraptions. And he said, they're not using contraptions. And it felt like at one point we, we were getting some, at least acknowledgement in this separation of these products and, and, you know, what youths were accessing, what they were getting and what you know, older former uh, smokers were using things like this. And then kind of after Gottlieb left that, that kind of thinking that acknowledgement seemed to just kind of vanish. And we we were kind of back to all vapes are the same thing. And and I mean, at the end of the day, really they are, but as far as, you know, um, youth having access to this or what they're using, like you're talking about in these surveys, we we don't even really see that acknowledgement now. You know, I, I try to, you know, as I said, I try to build bridges. And I'm, so I'm trying to think, okay, if putting on my hat of thinking like an FDA person might think, they're under tremendous attack from, sure. you know, advocacy groups and, and political forces and so on. And right now, I mean, if I, if I think of when I was in grad school at, you know, the, at the end of the last century, I was in my doctorate. And back then, uh, everyone was concerned about youth and alcohol. Uh, especially on college campuses, because again, they knew college students, right? They, but even and they don't know as many high school dropouts who are drinking just as much. But flavored alcohol, alcohol pops, that was a huge deal. And everybody was freaking out about that. And now I go to my local grocery in California, and there's big stacks of white claw flavored seltzer. 
you know, the same flavors as, as vapes are being sold as, you know, watermelon and, and mango and everything. No one says anything. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. oh, my God, flavored alcohol will kill you now from a car crash or alcohol poisoning or or, or a, a risky sex or whatever. Vaping, even if it is, even if it does turn out to have risks here, it's they're not going to kill your child today. You know, it's no way. Sure. I don't know. cigarettes. Imagine how, line. <laughs> yeah. So why? But what that tells me, and also my experience with with video game violence and the moral panic about that, is that the great wheel of moral panics it turns. And, There's and, always one going. Yeah, and we know. I I personally think it's going to next go to marijuana and youth because people are too relaxed right now about it, I, in my mind. But I the, but right this the wheel will turn, and I think that moral panic has probably already crested. And the Ivali misconception, you know, made that much worse. And that's, I think it's going to, I think it's starting to roll back a bit. I think we're seeing the peak now, but in the meantime, we're stuck with it. We have to wait, you know, we have to do our best to, to counteract that in the meantime, while that rolls back. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to get, you know, as I, as a researcher, when I look through the, the research out there about, um, I was just trying to find some stuff about adult use of flavors and quitting. And I was looking for, you know, where's the qualitative? Where's, you know, where's the details? Where's the, because story, you can, you can collect all of these wonderful stories on your site, which you definitely should, but that's always considered anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. Unless exactly. you collect it in yeah. a systematic way with clear goals from the front and, and standardized questions, which is one of the things that I do as a researcher, it's still anecdotal and so on. But I'm, I'm looking for these studies and I'm like, where are the studies they're just not, again, you know, someone has to pay for this, right? Research yeah. doesn't grow on trees. It doesn't, you know, flower and fruit and fall to the ground and get gathered up by journals. Somebody has to pay for research to happen. And pe- there haven't been people able to pay for all this, this research, especially the qualitative research. And that's what we really need. And that's one of the things I'm, I'm working, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to do over the next year or so is, is find some ways to support qualitative studies, you know, um, on, how are how are people using tobacco flavor, menthol flavor, and, and then other flavors to quit? And who is what is benefiting who? How, what how is it working? Anecdotally, I hear, and you know, you would know much much more about this that some people will start with a tobacco flavor because it's familiar, and then they segue to a, a different flavor, and then that helps keep them possibly from relapsing because mm-hmm. the association with cigarettes is broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other people may just want to start immediately with a fruit or, and there are people I understand who prefer to go with a, a flavorless because they don't want to mess with all those flavors. And, you know, there's, but we, we need to understand that. And one thing that the public health people really care about is vulnerable populations. And that can be teenagers, that could be elderly, that could be homeless. I just did some work with prison vaping. Uh, you know, there, if you can, you know, and, and also ethnic minorities, low, you know, um, people with less education. If you can, if you kind of work with the the language and values of the public health people and say, look, we're finding that this vulnerable subpopulation is, you know, who they're stubbornly not quitting smoking. You know, their their rates are really high, or they have a higher rate of damage. They're starting younger, what have you. If we can show this group is, you know, disproportionately quitting with flavors, and flavors are maybe possibly helping them not roll back. And relapse to smoking. Uh, that's something that I think could be very persuasive. And even getting just even just getting that out there in the terms of some stories, and having people say, "Here is why 
the flavor makes a difference for me that, that the tobacco flavor does not. Just, you know, helping them understand it, you know, it's, it's and getting very specific as to how it works for them. Uh, and when I think say, that's tremendously valuable. When you say, okay, <laughs> and, and you know, in all honesty, you're preaching to the choir about that. I mean, that's one of the things that we, that's why we have our testimonial uh, project. That's why we were partnering with another group in, in also collecting even more testimonials, why we've got the videos. Uh, we're constantly putting out there that adults like flavors. We need these flavors. Here's all these stories. If you look at our testimonials, you will see thousands of adults saying, this saved my life. One just posted in our chat right here. Um, the the problem is, is getting out of our bubble. Because I say, we've even, we you know, not necessarily CASA, but campaigns, you know, by consumers have been made where, um, there was there's yeah. a huge one years ago where everybody had these signs uh, mm -hmm. and it was a huge media social media campaign. And it was, you know, I, I quit smoking with this flavor. I smoked yeah, for this many years. They were posted everywhere. Yeah. Hashtags were shared. I mean, thousands upon thousands, real people, real faces holding up these signs, matter. sharing their stories, you know. Um, and maybe every now and again, you get a little snippet from like a local news or something about it. But it never seems to gain you know, yeah. the public health awareness traction uh, right. that we need it to gain um, because it's, it's it's it is more like it, there's like a wall. It's not necessarily that we're not doing all of these things. We're just not we're not breaking that silo. Like Kristen said, we're not, not getting in front of the right. Yeah, eyes. we're not getting Absolutely. it in front of the right eyes or when we do get it in front of the right eyes, you know, we're we're shoved off as victims or social media bots or shills for tobacco companies or whatever it may be. And that's that's one of the most frustrating things for me, at least as an advocate, is, you know, we have lived experience. We're we're right there. We're reading the most recent research that's coming out. We're sharing this. We're disseminating the best information we can. We're doing our own campaigns. We're, you know, we're doing what we're able to do here. But then we're kind of met with just the same. You're not stakeholders. Of, yeah, yeah, it's. We're so, not considered. So my question, I guess, to, to kind of frame that as a question is like, how do, in your experience, what's our best way to kind of break through that wall and, and, you know, get all of this stuff we've been doing for years and years in yeah. front of the right people, in front of the right eyes to make those, you know, to, to change yeah. those opinions. Bearing in mind that we are grassroots AF. <laughs> yeah, bearing in mind we're yeah. grassroots AF. I mean, yeah, we don't have we don't have that nice Bloomberg money. Yeah, people are always Mike, asking if you're listening, us, you want to change you... your tune. I mean, look. I, I, I really, why don't you put yeah. out do this campaign, put out ads, take out full page ads, do commercials. Oh. We're like, we don't have the money for that. No. Hire and, lobbyists. We don't have the money for that. And either, I, I'm not know? sure that would be credible. You know, I, I think slick is is your enemy. I think yeah. I think things that are a little bit rough actually are more credible in this situation. Right. But I, I do think, you know, the, the key is how do you, I think what it's like close, you know, people have this, they're closed minded. They think they know, they think they've got the idea. You have to kind of crack their, their brain open a little bit to let some light in and let them hear you. And I think the way you have to do that is just, is to surprise them in some way. I mean, one thing that surprised me just, um, just the other day was seeing this Federal Trade Commission report saying smoking has increased for the first time in many years. I have a question pandemic. about that that you might be able to answer, actually, because I've seen reports of uh, cigarette sales going up in 2020. Yeah, I guess and I'm curious if there's research behind that just being, uh, you know, people stocking up. Uh, for fear of being in public, not going out as much, reducing their travel, given the pandemic, or if we're seeing an actual rise in, in individuals 
like in the number of people? You know, I the the data I have, and I put a link uh, on my site to this. Uh, if it's an FTC press release that links to a larger report, which I've not read the larger report, but it, that was talking about billions of cigarettes shipped to wholesalers and retailers. So from that, you know, and that's from that, you know, I can't extrapolate. I know anecdotally, you know, I've, I've seen sort of talk among researchers and things that people that, that the Evali, you know, mess being mistakenly attributed to, to vaping. Was a uh, and then just the the relentless anti flavors and every, you know that vape, you know this messing up the waters. We I'm sure you've seen the, the surveys showing that physicians as well as regular folks think that nicotine is what's mm -hmm. killing you. And if you think nicotine is what's killing you, giving you heart disease or cancer instead of the smoke, then of course why should you switch from cigarettes to something else because it's all nicotine, right? It's pure nicotine. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Makes, it makes that that whole rationale for harm reduction and going down the continuum of risk goes away if you if you have this misperception about nicotine. So so that that's the the I think that's what happened is that people the nicotine issue got all muddied up and people heard about vaping is bad and uh, there may have been cigarette promotions going on thing as well. I would not have been seeing that because that's not where I'm traveling. But I, you know, I think people, some people are sort of like under duress and stress, more people are using, you know, any kind of substance, whether it's chocolate or nicotine or something under this horrible time we've all lived through, they're looking for something sure. to reduce stress. So I think it's really not surprising that, that smoking seems to have gone up. And I think they've seen that in other countries as well. But and I don't I, I can't attribute the detail, the fine grain level as to where it's happening. Uh, yeah. But but this is but I think that's something that is surprising to people. And I also put a link to an article about uh, it's a few years old now, but about smoking among the Medicaid population. People have this assumption that smoking is just going away on its own. And if you look at the data on you know the low income Americans and Medicaid, a lot of these are folks with health issues, mental health issues and so on, vulnerable populations. Right. They are the smoking is just sort of stuck. It's mm -hmm. not going down. And I recently was doing research related to prisoners and vaping. And oh my gosh, these poor folks, they are, uh, they are, um, if they can't, you know, if they don't have something to smoke, they smoke, they're, they're, if they're in these smoke free prisons, they're shredding up nicotine patches, mixing them with tea and smoking yeah. them. Mm -hmm. They're, they're collecting spit out chew. <laughs> that the guards spit out in the yard oh, and God. sweeping it up and drying it out, rolling it up in toilet paper wrappers or Bible pages and smoke. It's just, I mean, it's so clear. And these are, these are folks with very high, you know, histories of trauma. Mo uh, uh, research shows that almost half of them maybe have a diagnosable substance use disorder. So these are mm -hmm. people who need stuff. I mean, and, uh, and the, there's research on Scottish prisons, which I've got to put on my book. I've seen that oh, one. Oh, I've it's amazing. Scotland. Yeah. Oh, wow. This I think we shared that link. If you're trying to open up someone's mind who's saying, you know, vaping is all terrible, say, you know, let me let me let me take a pure example. People in prison who have all of these addiction, and other problems, and they're going to use their they we know we've seen in multiple countries, including the U.S. Mississippi just last year made smoking um, start selling cigarettes again in prisons. Mm -hmm. I think it was Mississippi. I might, I might have the state wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's them. Um, because they said there's just so much contraband, millions of dollars in contraband going through. We just can't fight it anymore. And so we're going to start selling cigarettes again because we can't, you know, 
It's just not, there is no such thing as a smoke-free prison, clearly. No. Yeah, Someone always, designed um, an e-cig that actually is prison safe. You know, it can't be used as a shim or whatever. You yeah, know? There's, yes. I mean, I worked with a company that was doing that. And there's there's several companies that, that have done that. I think most of them did not file for PMTAs. I know, I think at least a couple did, including one that I worked with. Uh, I believe but they're, they're, the thing with I'm sorry. At one point, I believe Vice actually covered, I want to say it was Vice, I could be wrong, covered that uh, a story about a, a company that was making uh, vapes for prisons. You yeah, know, they were all like a thin are, plastic kind of thing. Yeah, specialty you know? things with a silicone and see-through yep. and you can't stab and you can't smuggle yep. and the battery can't explode on you. Yeah, that's a whole, I mean, I don't want to talk about that too much because my clients, you know, PMTA is still under review and I have to be very protective because these prisoners need this product. Yeah. <laughs> they really sure. do. I don't yeah. have anything to undermine that. Uh, but if this, this, what Scotland did is they, there's a report on the web, you know, a big kind of scoping review that they did of what's happening in different countries. And they saw how in Australia, for example, people were smoking the nicotine patches. They had, they had studies showing with the guards mm -hmm. talking about, I don't want to go into that cell block because I feel sick from the smell of the chemicals mm -hmm. from, from them burning those nicotine patches. And uh, they looked at, you know, the, the contraband issue. They looked at all this stuff and they, in their mind, and, and this is partly because of the attitudes in the UK are different. Mm -hmm. They saw vaping as a kind of, similar to nrt as a as a nrt analog right and so when they're off when they're switching they start introducing vaping and other 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 options to the prisoners ahead of time and yep. then segued over and then gradually took away the cigarettes a few months later and then they they surveyed they surveyed the guards they surveyed the the, the staff you know they did a, a bunch of great qualitative and quantitative stuff and it's looking like they are the only they, they really have the answer they, they said they have a very low contraband problem and they have, and the the survey results on satisfaction with vaping were really quite good. They're using, they're using. I don't know. Um, it was a company over there that I think they were using a, a refillable products with. So mm -hmm. I don't know much about the actual products. I'm quite ignorant about that. And they didn't show pictures or anything like that. But that might be yeah. something to try to find out. Maybe you get one of the researchers uh, or someone in the prison system there to talk to you all about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Idea. Yeah. It's a. Uh you talk about contraband in, in prison and, and I always, I just go to this idea, you know, here in America, we think our solution to, um, you know, the overdose crisis and, and the addiction problems we have here are to, to close off borders and shut off the flow of illicit drugs into the country. And I'm like, we can't, you know, we can't keep drugs out of the prison. We keep, right. keep, we can't I, keep drugs out of one building yeah, over here I mean, in town. Yeah, we just talked you want about to try that. to keep drugs out of a country? Come on. And I found with some with some of my public health colleagues talking about the prisoner situation and that vulnerable population and their and, and what their lives are like and everything that they're using and their trauma histories and drug histories. That was something that made people go, oh wow, that's maybe I maybe there is a place for and they're talking about the flavors. Some there this uh, the product I was researching comes in some flavors as well. And a lot of them, a lot of people and some of the, a lot of prisons, prisons were not selling all of the flavors, but there be people saying sad things like after a hard day of cleaning toilets or mopping floors, it's just to have the nice, just to have this little treat. It's like, sure, how are you poor yeah. person? <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many people I knew, you know, I spent years working in the restaurant industry. Uh, I went into it, uh, you know, as someone who smoked, but I met countless, you know, younger folks who came in, yep. cooks, hosts, servers, yep. the whole nine who didn't smoke when they first got a job there. 
But a few months later, they sure did. And not only was it yeah. to go and, and, you know, step out of the building, get a few minutes of air, yeah. but in those, those really high, stressful, rough mm -hmm. days, I knew countless people who started smoking just to, just to cope with their work day. You know, yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, I was in the service industry too. I, I just wanted to bring in something going back to what you're talking about about the nicotine and the mixed messaging with the whole um, having been demonized for so long. It's so ironic, and I actually just tweeted about this this morning. Is uh, I forget which which anti tobacco or tobacco control group it was, but I retweeted it because they had put this thing up about the nicotine pouches. And they were just like, oh, it's all they all still big tobacco. It's still all this horrible, you know, they're just up to their own trick, old tricks, the whole grandfather thing, you know. Yeah. And, and they're and they're they're in there saying that this is this horrible product. And so I retweeted it and I said, and it kind of made out the point of, well, we've been told for years that smoking is deadly and Tobacco control tells us or public health groups around the world say use nicotine gum, use nicotine patches, use nicotine lozenges. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between a nicotine gum and a tobacco-free nicotine pouch? Right answer is the correct answer is nothing. There's no health difference, risk difference, you know. And that's what's so frustrating is so now that people are watching that, they're like or reading stuff like that, mm -hmm. and they're going, Wait, is nicotine the bad guy? Is nicotine wait? How is nicotine yeah, bad here, but it's not bad there, and it's bad in vaping, but it's not bad in a in a inhalable thing that you can get from what's that an inhaler? Not inhaler. That's that was Drew's company. Um, nicotrol. Nicotrol inhalers. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just so. Yeah. And now you've got the you got it to the point where, and this is one of the questions I have for you was you mentioned in your article the very low nicotine cigarettes. Yeah. And um. <laughs> I want to do a whole thing on that very low nicotine, but it's to me, that's banking on this fear of nicotine that this company is banking on that fear. And I'm wondering if you, do you consider very low nicotine cigarettes a harm reduction product? Well, that's the, the, the thing that first me. I, in fact, I wrote an article about this. Oh, did you? Yeah. It's, um, if you're if you're if that continuum of risk thing happened the way they talked about a few years ago, the people at the FDA, you know, if you had if if by now we had a bunch of flavored vapes and menthol flavored and you know tobacco flavor everything um, with marketing authorizations, if we had you know people getting educated about nicotine and where the real risks are and so on, then I think a low nicotine cigarette might have a place in that because you know ideally you want to have you know, different pathways that people can follow, you know, that work for them. I mean, I know you all have seen examples, you know, different things work for different people. And uh, some people need something, you know, some kind of combustion product. And some people, some people may need to feel, hey, this is, this cigarette is just not giving me the satisfaction, whereas this vape or this uh, oral product is giving me the satisfaction. They may need to kind of trick their body and wean themselves over. But, it, but without all that stuff in place, it's, I think it's it's kind of scary because it has the potential to backfire and play into the idea that this must be a safer cigarette, which was what public health railed against for years. Oh, my God. You know, there is no safe cigarette. Don't use safer. And yeah, so that's why I think we desperately have to get out there and say, whoa, look at, you know, whether you're talking to physicians or journalists, whatever. Hey, look, look, smoking is going back up. It's not going away. Look. Look at the research on what even your fellow physicians believe that nicotine is what's giving people heart disease and cancer. It's not. 
And look, hey, NRT products have been available for a couple of decades now. And look how few people use them. They start and they quit. This is not clearly it's not working for them with all this stuff. We have to look for something else. Or do you want more kids to start smoking by seeing their parents smoking? Do you want more more babies to crawl through nicotine smoke residue in the rugs? Do, you know, oh, at home? do you oh, want to? Yeah, you have to think think of some image that's going to make them go. Ew. Do you I will never use third hand smoke as an argument because it's such. Yeah, okay, well, whatever. Well, you have to think about something that that resonates right. for your particular audience and then say right. you may not know it but here's a let me show you my box of alternate you know reduced of alternate nicotine products of reduced harm products here's a big box of them this is this is a, this is a, a pouch this is snooze this is these are the different kinds of vaping systems and how these things work um we're we talking to right here though that well, I mean, again thinking, that gets back to our problem of we don't, I mean, everybody who's watching this right now has heard us say all of this ad nauseum. And yeah. the problem is, is getting in front of people who, you know, I, and when we do things like hearings and stuff like that, they give us two minutes to three minutes to get anything out, or they just don't listen to us. Again, we're not considered stakeholders with the yeah. FBI. FDA. <laughs> um, Maybe with the FBI. Yeah. Maybe you know, we should get on the FBI list. That might get somebody to listen to us. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, we're doing it for the right reason. Like, I mean, I'll, I mean, even, even, I mean, just earlier this week, uh, I, we put out in our blog that um, this woman in the health department at the Monterey, California um, health department, because they just ban flavors or they're kind of in the process, but it's pretty much going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And one of the things that, um, and I got it over here, Michelle House, the program coordinator for the health department, this is Monterey, um, said that modified risk tobacco products with quotes, that's why I'm doing that, is mostly a marketing designation made by tobacco companies. Big Tobacco's attempt to undermine the government regulation by utilizing them as harm reduction. They claimed it's just a strategy for reframing the issue, which is tobacco is tobacco. And they ended up using that line, to, and that was what made the county, which was initially exempting um, the uh, uh, MRTP um, designated products from the flavor ban, put it back in there. And that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with. I, I understand that. That's where, I mean, I know there's some cities near me that are, I, I've heard are banning flavors. Well, you're in California. So yeah. Everybody yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's where I think you've got to, you've got to hit them with something that breaks through that. Like, look, smoking is going up. Look, you know, look at something, look, NRT is not working. Look at some of these other things. Teens, and then, teens, and teens. what I think, what I think you can do, you know, one thing that occurs to me, and I'm going to have to go in a few minutes, but right. the, um, I know a lot, one of the things that physicians are dealing with is like um, often you, you go to a doctor and they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what are, what drugs are you taking? What are you using? What might affect your health? And they're worried about, you know, are you using supplements? You know, that's a wild west unregulated situation. People don't always tell them what they're using mm. and they're, and, and doctors, you know, kind of feeling ignorant. And I think there's an analogy here with, you know, we need to know what supplements our patients are using is we need to know what nicotine products our patients are using and say, hey, we can help educate you. We could do a seminar for you at, at the medical school, at your H, at your, at your um, health or maintenance organization, your, your, your doctor's office. We can help you understand what products your patients might be using so that when you talk to them, you can understand what's, what's there. Because hmm. that is, you know, thinking about a need that they have. And then when you're talking to them, you might be able to explain, you know, in passing, yeah, this is something that, you know, has, it doesn't have the product, you know, it doesn't, the, the vapor from vaping is very different than the products of combustion, or you know, here's a 
heat not burn product. Here's a, here's how this works. And here's, you may have to kind of use a more moderate tone than you used to and less advocacy tone and let them kind of go, right. let them lead a little bit. But I think it's one way to crack it open a little bit and meet a need that they have. If we can get in front of them. Do you think yeah, it, would be, yeah. it would be beneficial? Like I've always wanted to put up a section on our website that was just for medical professionals that answered questions like what you're saying, or maybe even yeah. create a handout for our our members to print out to take to their doctors. Do you think that would be something that would be beneficial? Yeah, I think I think so. And I think something, you know, I think one that's kind of like from the doctor's perspective, maybe you can bring, you might want to work with one of the physicians, like, uh, you know, who's, who's, um, has some understanding of this area. I'm, cause I'm not a physician. Um, mm -hmm. I can only deal with populations, <laughs> but, uh, right. but you no, know, but if it's something that's saying, you know, here's, you know, ex here's what your patients may be using. Here's, here's pictures of it. Here's how, how it comes in. Here's how it works. Here's how they will describe it. So when they tell you here are the supplements and here are the other drugs and substances that I use, you as a physician will know what that is. And then you can also do some things saying from the patient's perspectives, why your patients may be using this, where your patients may be going for information. And if you're saying, here's where your patients are going for information, you might want to go there and find out what they're, what they're learning about. Aha. They might learn something. They might see a couple of videos. They're like, huh, here's a video from a, someone. Let me play that and see what, what it says. You might, you know, it's kind of sneaking under their wall. <laughs> so you're thinking, I mean, do you think, I guess I'm just confused if you're talking about us as an organization trying to somehow reach out to doctors. How do we reach out to doctors? Or are you saying our individual members should reach out to their doctors? Either way, I think it could be individual members or, or it could be you as an organization. But you have you have to think about what is what like the medical association or something. I mean, how do we yeah, or, reach or, out to a or, whole bunch or of doctors local, um, or local um, uh, hospitals or something saying, hey, I, you know, we we know that your patients are are using just like you. You know, you, you've had struggle understand the supplements people are using. We assume you're struggling to understand you know, what nicotine products your patients are using. We be mm -hmm. you know, and we we've just been putting together. A, you know, a, you might even get a letter of introduction. Reach out if you have a personal physician. You might try to talk to them and say, "Hey, is this something that you think people might be interested in? Would you be willing to like introduce me to the right person?" Sure. Yeah. I just just going off of two personal experiences in in you know my sort of recent medical history. Um, mm -hmm. You know, seeing uh, my doctor and explaining that I, I switched to yeah. vaping from smoking, he was actually seemed very happy. And mm -hmm. uh, his attitude was, you know, most of the people who he sees uh, could eliminate a lot of their health issues if they would just quit smoking. And, you know, we know, doctors know, it's very frustrating. The products that are out there, the strategies that are out there are underwhelming uh, yeah. and, and people continue to smoke. And so he was very relieved. The other example was I, I was hospitalized for a couple of broken, broken ribs. Uh, and the, uh, the vasovargal syndrome. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, basically it was touching a nerve and it causes me to pass oh. out. Um, oh, some people call it like the sissy man's disease or something like that, but um, okay. it's, it's just a real thing. It's a, the vagus nerve. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah. But one of the nurses who was uh, you know, by my side when I was getting a, an ultrasound at one point, um, mm -hmm. she, I, I had said something about vaping and uh, she immediately went into attack mode and was just like, oh, it's horrible and it's something it's addictive and you shouldn't do that. And I turned to her and I, I, I'm pretty sure that they could see my heart starting to race on the on the monitor. And I just looked at <laughs> it and I, was like, 
I quit smoking after 21 years by switching to vaping. And it took her a minute to come back and say, it's very good that you quit smoking and, and like yeah. change your tune. Yeah. So it's it's in line with a lot of your thing. You know, yeah. once people see that face and they hear that experience, mm -hmm. it does tend to change their mind. My doctor just has anti-vaping signs all over the yeah. place. <laughs> and then one thing, in a way, it's a, lot, it's a little bit like dealing with an anti-vaxxer. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a very emotional issue. And sometimes you have, you have to just, sometimes you have to, have to listen and say, I can understand why, you know, after everything big tobacco did, I can understand why you feel so enraged. Yeah. You, you yeah. have to, people, you have to acknowledge people's emotion and you have to assume goodwill on their part, that this must be coming from something that they think is important. And then, and that's, you, know, you have to acknowledge that first before you can say, you know, there, well, you know that they've been things to. that I, you know, there's some things that I've discovered in my life that are a little bit different than what you're talking about. Would it be okay if I could I share a quick story with you? Something that, you know, an experience that I had that made that changed the way I thought about some of this. You know, something yeah. like that. But I, I think there are a lot of doctors and nurses out there who have either, you know, seen with their patients changed lives or have a relative or friend who's had a change. More more. Might, I think it is possible to find people who would be willing to be conduits and introduce you to people or to pass around articles like the AJPH article about vaping or share the video, you know, Ken Warner and University of Michigan did a nice four minute video about mm -hmm. you know, summarizing that article or the, the new research about how many physicians believe nicotine is what kills you. I, you know, that kind of thing is like, a whoa, really? I don't, yeah. think, I don't think they Crazy. know that. And, the sun, and yeah. that's the coin of the realm, you know, research kinds of things. You have to think about what's what are their needs? What problems can I solve for them? What do they find credible? And again, your stories as patients are credible too within, you know, once you've acknowledged their emotion, once it's in context. And I'm going to have to get going, but this has been so, yes. so much fun talking. We may have to you. have you back again. I think we have to have you back again someday. I'd be happy to. Awesome. And if, you, if you've got, and I want to learn from you guys, I want to learn, you know, talk to you and learn about what you know, what you would like to be able to say to your doctors, what, you know, more about your experiences, because I have vast areas of ignorance that I think you guys would help fill in for me. And hey, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'm, I handle our Twitter account and you can message me on Twitter. I think I sent you a, a request. So if you want to answer that and follow us and on social media and, um, you know, anytime you want to talk about something, we, you know, it doesn't have to be on camera. We can, you know, and we also, you know, do any, any, any of your, your work and research that you want to talk about, um, yeah. you know, our, our, our members are very interested in all of this stuff. And obviously this is giving us tools to take to lawmakers and, and regulators and, and, and our own doctors. Um, we also have the, the Twitter spaces. So, you know, as new things come up, feel free to reach out and we'd love to have you on again. That sounds Absolutely. great. I'm so glad we've connected at last and I look forward to that. Yeah. Okay, so, so much, I'm going to thank, thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Right. Bye bye. Thanks. Okay, Doctor so we're going to be doing the. Cheryl like, Olson. I know that was awesome. I couldn't believe she said yeah. yes, and that was so cool. And it's so yeah. nice, so interesting to have somebody from completely outside of our bubble. I mean, she's yeah. not completely. Yeah. I mean, she was kind of into harm reduction, but as far as like our bubble. You know, it was it was funny because she she had kind of heard of us, and, and I'll tell you guys, I, I I didn't want to take up too much time because she was had to get it out before she had to leave, and she did stay an extra ten minutes for us. But um, when when I uh, when I messaged her, she we kind of went back and forth, and when she came on just before the show to kind of make sure to do a sound check and stuff, and and she and she said she had, she had emailed me back, and she said, oh your your guys' website's really nice. And I'm like, oh she's never seen our website before, and she's like, I thought I heard, and she on the show on the pre-show she said, you know, I thought I, I thought she. Uh, 
She's like, I thought I heard of you. So I kind of asked around and, and people were like, yeah, they're the good guys. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Thank you that to whoever vetted Gustav to Cheryl, <laughs> Dr. Cheryl Olson, because yeah, she said, we're, we're some of the good guys. We're the good guys. We I, I, I want to camera who said that, because I want to know who's actually out there and supporting us and, and thank them for that too. So that, that was awesome. But I love yeah, that. That was, that that was said, really, I checked up you know, on I, you guys think, and you were, you got the thumbs up. <laughs> I think her coming from kind of that, looking at, you know, uh, youth and violence and video games and things like that. And kind of starting from that, like awareness of moral panics has really helped her kind of navigate yeah. this space as well. And yeah, I, moral with, with a lot of other thing. folks, if you're like, oh, well, you know, if you can bring up a moral panic that they know and understand really well, and you can go look at the similarities here, mm -hmm. people start to go, oh, okay, I kind of get what you're saying. And I think that's, you know, that's really helpful. You know what else from, helps you understand the mind of uh, panic to vape clouds, you know? Well, yeah. You know what else helps you understand that kind of thing? Like Dunning-Kruger and stuff like that? Watch some flat earth videos. <laughs> oh, yeah, God, don't, you guys. Flat you don't earthers. have to. <laughs> I, swear to God, I swear to God, anti vaping people just remind me of flat earthers. It's yeah, I watched a documentary one time on flat earth. And uh, <laughs> I, I just remember they, they had gotten this machine that was gonna like, prove somehow the rotation of the earth. And so it was flat and all this and that. And they were so excited. They, they spent all this money on degrees this, per this hour. scientific device. And they were like, this is gonna be it. This is gonna prove it. And then, like, the next, like, cut scene was to them, like, super bummed out and disappointed. Because <laughs> it showed 15 degree hours per hour shift. That's why. Like, well, it was a, um, it was a uh, what do you call it? Um, it's funny. I can't think of what the name of it is. It, uh, gyroscope? Yeah. And it yeah. was, like, a $20,000, like, electronic gyroscope. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it was beyond, uh, beyond the curve. Yeah, that's what it was, Ian. It was beyond the curve. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Okay, anyhow. but Yes, anyway, we do still have some legislation to get into. So, without any further ado, Alex, are you ready? Do the thing. It's weird, right? You're going to do legislation at the <laughs> end of the show? Yeah, up is down, cats and dogs living together. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's just rain and lava today. All right, let's get into it. All right, so without actual raining lava, what do you got for us this week, sir? What do we need to keep our eyes and ears on? Yes, Ian. Yeah. So um, we'll go right to the map here. Um, for folks in Alaska, uh, we have uh, a bill that was, uh, this is the two-year session, um, and we, uh, of course, uh, reminded folks about SB 45, the House version of this, HB 110, uh, which has been around since uh, the beginning of last year, uh, is now going back to getting some attention in a committee. It's not clear to me whether or not this is a public hearing. Uh, I think Alaska kind of has a rule about it gets one public hearing and then the next meeting, not so much uh, by invitation only. But that does not mean that you cannot reach out to the committee and share your thoughts. So if you are in Alaska, um, be sure to get your opinions into the committee before Wednesday, March 9th uh, at 1.30 p.m. Alaska Standard Time. Uh, that is the House Finance Committee. As we've mentioned before, finance committees are mostly interested in numbers. Uh, and so one of the points to make, of course, is that uh, if 
uh, Alaska does move to tax vapor products, thereby discouraging people from switching to them, uh, they will continue, they will maintain the status quo of the financial burden of uh, early death and disease attributable to smoking. Um, so not a really good financial move uh, on the part of the state. Um, but that is happening uh, this coming Wednesday. If you're in Alaska, take action. We wrote the letter for you. Highly encourage you to edit it with your own personal story. Uh, and that is HB 110. Uh, moving back to the I know on that really quick, and I know I say it all the time, you guys, but when you're going to add your personal stories, which you absolutely should do to our uh, pre-made emails, put them above uh, mm -hmm above all of the other pre-written text that we've provided. It just helps, it helps kind of the, the email algorithm of things not being sent directly to spam folders. That way they're individualized. It comes up first like that. They, they get sent and delivered where they need to go. Yeah, good point. Carry on, sir. Um, uh, the next stop on our, our two call to action tour this weekend is uh, the state of Colorado. I, believe uh, we, we talked about this being an active thing, uh, but for folks in Colorado uh, should be aware that the public hearing that we were uh, expecting was rescheduled. I, I think it was originally scheduled for this Wednesday, uh, but it has been moved. Uh, not only the date has been moved, but the venue has been moved to a larger committee room. Uh, so clearly uh, your voices are making a difference and they are making accommodations for a much bigger, much bigger crowd. Uh, and so this is going to be on Wednesday, March 16th now, uh, 1.30 p.m., House Committee on Health and Insurance. This is in the old state library, which is room 271. Uh, and again, same thing. Please uh, get your messages in, messages in. Make sure to customize it with your personal stories. Uh, and uh, this is Colorado HB 22-1064, or you can just do HB 1064, and they should be able to know what you're talking about. Uh, this is a flavor ban. Uh, and as we've talked about this before, this is sort of inspired by the uh, patchwork, the intentional patchwork of uh, local regulations throughout Colorado, uh, necessitating the need for some sort of unifying or uniform state regulations, which is the strategy we've seen play out in places like Massachusetts, California, New Jersey, uh, New York, and so on. Uh, and this is in uh, somewhat in response to the Denver mayor wisely vetoing a flavor ban there. Uh, and this is very much a real threat in Colorado and urgently needs your attention. So uh, with that, Colorado and Alaska uh, herein ends the reading of the legislative rundown. Wow. Holy cow. That it's was the shortest rundown on, like, we've had in a while. Yeah, it's been a long time since we said there's just no rundown. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, there's still other stuff. That's just the latest. I mean, yeah, those are, that's, the, that's the, the top of the pile. Um, yeah. There are other tax bills. There are other things that we're, that we're working on um, that are just not uh, up in time for this show or are not moving to sort of an imminent hearing. Uh, but we are watching things in places like Oklahoma, Connecticut, Indiana, uh, I, I can't remember. I, I can't remember. Illinois has something active right now, but uh, we're keeping an eye on things and we'll update as as things evolve. All right. Well, what do you say? It feels weird. It's we've we're only it's only five fifty here. <laughs> I'm used to doing shows at this point till like nine thirty at night. 
So well, I could have talked to Dr. Olson for another hour. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. We have recently, though, have had quite a few longer shows. Uh, so yeah. we got a shorter one this week, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that everybody, was, uh, everybody gets a weekend uh, partially off. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I've had it a there's no had like an itchy throat all day this morning. I, it like started and I was like, I hope it's gone by the time the show gets here. It's gone, except every now and again, it creeps back in. I apologize for the coughs, you guys. Um, but yeah, no update. Uh, Skip, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wisconsin's could... passing a pup law for... Uh, Wisconsin already has pup laws, I believe. Well, I mean, they're... they're, they're adding to it making it worse for people who vape for kids who vape yeah i mean they're, they're increasing stuff fantastic let's just continue great. to make shitty laws shittier great <sighs> i love that i love do? that well uh i guess that's that's gonna do it for us this week um huge shout out and big thanks to dr cheryl Olson for joining us today um, definitely gives us all a lot to think about in the way that we approach health professionals and, and things like that. Um, academia at large, um, and lawmakers and lawmakers. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we've, we've tried so many things over the years and I've always felt like, you know, we, we reach a lot of people, but we don't always necessarily reach the right people or we get the right things in front of the right people. Uh, so we obviously all have a lot of work to do there still. Uh, but I believe that we can do that. This community is strong. This community is fierce. And I definitely think that we can do that. So I guess that's going to do it. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say put one last thing on because with all of us talking about tobacco harm reduction and and all the, the struggles that we have, I just want to put a shout out to the people of Ukraine and we're thinking of you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank there. you. That, that's I, I think we've neglected to acknowledge that is going on and um, yeah. And absolutely, I think all of us are, are thinking about this now and, and, and hoping for better outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for all sure. All right, you guys, are we ready to go? Is that spiel time? It's spiel time. That's it. Oh, all right, everybody. Spiel time. I got to do it, you guys. I'm sorry, but we're <laughs> going to do the spiel. Thank you, everybody, for coming and hanging out with us today. You're amazing. You're fantastic. You make Casa what Kasa is, because you are, in fact, Kasa. Uh, so thank you for joining us today. If you are here and you are not yet a member of Kasa, I don't know what you're waiting for. I, I don't even know why you're still here. Drop the stream immediately. <laughs> Head over to Kasa.org. Sign up today. It's absolutely free. Do all the things. Get all the stuff. Submit your testimonies. Because, yeah, we have a, a buttload, but we need multiple buttloads more. Okay? We need, we need a larger load of... No. Never mind. Anyways, go do the testimonies. Yeah, I was going to go somewhere with it. And I was like, no, this is a public. Just adult. Old, this is a, this may be an adult stream, but we're not going to go that adult. Anyways, get those testimonies and please share your stories. They mean the world. Uh, so join Kasa. Check out our merch. We got some really cool. Maybe it's not super new at this point, but it may be new to some people who haven't checked it out yet. Check out the merch. Go do all the things over on the website. Also, if you are not following us yet on SoundCloud, I'm going to personally ask you, go follow us over on SoundCloud. We just broke 200 followers this last week over on SoundCloud. I'd love to see that number get up a little higher. That is where we upload all of our podcasts natively. Uh, and that's really where I track all of our analytics in regards to the podcast. So SoundCloud, do that. Speaking of SoundCloud, this here podcast, this this live stream will get turned into two podcasts, two versions. We'll have the full 
uh, version with Dr. Cheryl Olson on. And then we'll also have a shorthand version, just the legislation that Alex run, ran down this week. It's going to be like four minutes long. <laughs> it's going to be the shortest, shortest legislative rundown in history. But uh, go check out all that stuff. Go do all the things. As far as I know, we are back here same time next week, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on the other coast. Google foo your time zones for the rest of the world, everybody. It's going to do it for us. Be excellent to each other, everybody out there. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.